0: Hello you, it's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my virtual radio podcast with Waitrose this weekend. Actor and now author Sam Neill has a brand new memoir, Did I Ever Tell You This?, and he's telling me all about it. He's been in Les Mis, Inventor of the Opera. Now John Owen Jones is back in the West End in Great British Bake Off, The Musical. And Annie Osho is in a gritty new BBC drama based in Belfast, Blue Lights. She joins me to tell us all about it, as well as an insight into her new book, Tough Crowd. Show Chef Martha decorates a cake with rose petals and pistachios. But before all of that, Maria and I have some dilemmas to deliberate in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to kick us
1: off. Oh, More. good morning, Mr. Norton.
0: Good morning to you. How are you?
1: Um, I am all right, thank you. I say I'm all right, Graham. I've been gardening all week, and I oh, am no. have oh. we- I'm wearing my back brace, as you can see. It's very <laughs> fetching in a, a lovely grey. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, do you not have one of those kneelers? Is that what the problem was? I think the problem is it's just, you know, age, I have to say. You know, because it's not, you know, mine was gardening, yes, but do you never do that thing where you just to have a sneeze... Or turn over peculiarly in the night and then you wake up and the whole of your back has just seized up. Um so I guess, you know, short of constantly working out and stretching and, you know, organizing your back. I don't know, I don't know. I mean well, I think
0: that is I mean, I say I love that you say, well, short of short of doing something about it.
1: <laughs> well, I know, but you you don't know when you're asleep when you're gonna turn over that things are gonna go. Eh. Mm. But I also, mean, I'm surprised
0: at you, because you are very bendy. You you have maintained bendiness, whereas I have never been bendy. So, of course, I've got a bad back. But, you know, because my hip flexors are, you know, like stiff old um, hinges. A <laughs> little know, bit of like, WD-40, never did anyone any harm. But that's what, Honestly, that's what I need, but I don't have it. But you are Miss Bendy, always. So how come you've got a well, bad back? Well,
1: I know, but, I you know, there are weaknesses that suddenly become apparent. I don't want to wang on too much. I mean, I'd rather talk about my how beautiful. For my garden is Graham. Oh, <laughs> I am, is it? I am zoning. I'm zoning certain areas. One area is. I, oh, this might be it. I lugged 14 bags of bark. When, when is it that we started using bark as some sort of garden furniture? Um, well, I think you know. I'm not a
0: doctor. But fourteen bags of bark sounds like a back problem to me. You've got a bark problem.
1: I know, but I'm <laughs> a I... bad bark. Very good, Graham. Very good. But I did warm up before I, you know, I did some stretching <laughs> before I carried the bark. And then bending down, I've been painting as well. A lovely old cast iron table that I picked up, Graham, for a song, and I've been painting it. You have to guess the colour.
0: <laughs> Racing green.
1: <laughs> no. Ooh, no! Uh, because it's in the garden, gun, Graham. Gu- it's gunboat wa- grey. No, wild thyme. Oh my goodness! It's is hammerite wild thyme. Yes, but quite quite pale camouflage green. It's very classy, Graham. I think oh, that was yes. what did my back actually just bending around to paint him
0: and lugging that. You know what you should? I think that the 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 thing to do now, I think, yes. for, for gardening is yes.
1: wildflower
0: meadow which yes. is initially just a weed-filled weed-filled, untended garden. No, we did a lot
1: of that. that we is... tossed wildflowers out into the lawn. <laughs> They've all been choked to death by moss, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a gardener. I was talking to my friend who was in the garden the other day who lives upstairs. We were saying, now, we, I think we need to cut back some of that... What, what is that called? Uh, sedge, I think. It's but, you know, we know nothing. I think there's a programme in it, Graham. People who know nothing, instead of Monty Don, it's just be, you know, Monty Hopeless.
0: Yeah. The- I'm the opposite. I'm hopeless and I have a gardener. Yeah, well that's clever
1: and you're very stupidly rich.
0: No, no. But also, but also very stupidly stupid in that my gardener, my gardener is literally showing me a big patch of weeds going, this is your wildflower meadow that you've paid for. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if you weren't here, it would look like that.
1: <laughs> no, Graham, you have to be very careful with the wildflower meadows. You have to be careful where you plant them and where they grow and that you zone it. It's all about the zoning these days. Oh, no. we've, got, we've got chill out areas with a canopy and everything. <laughs> I really? know, I know. I'm really giving myself for talking to for like such a <laughs> how twit. Big, how big is this garden, Well, Maria? it's quite a big garden, um, given that there's only sort of two of us that are you know, looking after it, really. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big Victorian house and it's a shared garden, so it's quite big and it's got trees and things like that. I won't be doing anything with the trees.
0: No, I can and assure it's got a lady you. lady lying down in the middle of it, going, ow, <laughs> ow, <laughs> yes.
2: help
1: me! Maria knows help is coming with this little brick in the <laughs> body, lying at the bottom of a tree with acorns falling on my head. Yeah. Uh, talking of help, talking of
0: help. I'm oh yes, guessing you've got two crisp letters to read out. Wait a
1: minute. Yes, I have. Virgin Radio. Virgin you, oh, yeah. you are on it like a barnet this morning, Graham. Why, thank you very much. Thank you, thank Shall you. Shall I read this letter in American? No. OK, no. here we are. <laughs> Dear, no. No. <laughs> no. Dear Graham and Maria... No. <laughs> my partner and I live abroad. He's the oldest of three siblings. His little sister, Dee is 11 years younger than him. My mother-in-law looks after our house when we're not there, so she has the power of attorney and access to our bank account to cover the necessary maintenance costs, etc. Last night, she phoned us to say that Dee's daughter our niece, was in a swimming competition and tore her swimming costume. The new one costs £400 and could we please help her out in buying a new one? My mother-in-law even suggested she would put half in and D will pay us back when she has the money. It was quite late at night so we said we'd get back to her the next day. Really? We got a text the next day from D to say thank you for lending her the money. I wasn't sure what had happened. So, I checked our bank account and saw that my mother-in-law had already transferred the money into Dee's account. I was not happy. It's not the first time this kind of thing has happened. A few years ago, Dee and her husband went bankrupt and we lent them some money to get through the rough times. She promised to pay us back ASAP, but in the end, my mother-in-law paid us back little by little over three years. Why can't Dee just simply fix the torn costume if she can't afford to buy a brand new one or buy a cheaper one? Also, what confuses me is that when she needs Botox injections or a weekend getaway, she'll always find the money for it. How can I prevent this from happening again? And also let my 80-year-old mother-in-law know that her not-so-little 42-year-old daughter needs to grow up. And that is from Chen. doesn't say where. Abroad, obviously. Somebody somewhere abroad. Chen lives abroad with her partner. And I would imagine, Chen, you have quite a bit of money living abroad. You've still got a house in this country, etc. I'm afraid I'm not really on your side, Chen, because what's clear from your letter is you don't like Dee. You don't like her. You feel resentful towards her. But if you have the money and you'll get it back, where's the harm, really? I mean, your mother-in-law, I would just say this as a word of warning, your mother-in-law is not someone to upset, as she is providing you with a valuable service. She's making sure your house is okay, and the maintenance and the bills are paid, etc. So it's not like they're asking you for the money with no chance of it ever being returned. She's in a swimming competition. It's important. You feel good. You do better. That's how, you know, in a sewn-up swimming costume, when everybody else has got all the posh gear, you feel rubbish. I think your your beef is with Dee and why somehow she can't manage her finances. Some people can, some people can't. Really, though, it's not down to you, Chen. You know, if anybody, it's down to your husband. And I would imagine, because he's the one whose sister is needing the money for his niece, his mother looking after your house... Uh, If he's really upset about it, I reckon he's the one that should be saying something. It sounds like there's already antagonism from you, Chen, so I would just sit back on that. And if you're cross about it, talk to your husband and he can talk to your mum-in-law. Graham, what do you think?
0: Yeah, no, it's absolutely... The the key here is in-law it's yep. not your mother <laughs> I know, it's not really. your sister it's in-law so uh you're if you if anybody's going to do something it has to be your husband i mean listen there are people like d and she's clearly hopeless and everything happens to her and i have no money and then you're quite right suddenly when there's something fun going on oh look i have money <laughs> there you go oh yeah it was a weekend in New York bye uh, but thank, we thank, all know thank. people like that though and she... yeah, we all know people like that and they are very 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 annoying now what I will say to you Chen is though you to them may also be quite annoying because <laughs> well in that in the, you live abroad you live abroad you still own your house you're you know you're chucking money at, at mother-in-law who has to do everything so they're thinking oh well they're using and abusing mom. So, and, you know, who, I don't know where you live, Chen, but it may be some sort of, you know, it may be somewhere where tax isn't
1: quite as taxing
0: as, as it is here. So,
1: uh, <laughs> what do you do know to I mean? So yeah, they've clearly cl- got money, Graham, haven't they? Yeah.
0: And, and also they might be doing something very clever with the money. We don't know. Yeah. So, I But they're feel, not asking uh, for a
1: gift. It's just a loan.
0: It is, but also I just think you've got to allow them to be uh, jealous of you and annoyed by you. And so they will treat your money differently because well as far as well as far as they're concerned that money is coming to to chen and her husband very easily so you know their lives seem charmed and all that sort of if you want to do any the only thing i would say which seems it seems ridiculous that your mother-in-law has access to your bank accounts i mean how hard is it to set up a separate bank account for household expenses and you transfer money into that you know twice a year or you know Whatever, And so the mother-in-law only has access to a smaller amount because...
1: You I know, think it- Chen's husband has set this bank account up. I mean, he's dealing with it, isn't he? Because it's, it's his mother that's dealing with it. So I think he's, he's done that for a purpose because he knows that that's going to happen. I mean, Chen is furious with Dee. She's the younger sister of her partner, 11 years younger, probably super hot with all that Botox and weekends <laughs> away. <laughs> <laughs> and Chen is quite cross with her. That's kind of the bottom line, because this is not... They're not asking for gifts. It was a loan to buy the daughter a swimming costume for her swimming competition.
0: No, I totally get why Chen hates D. I hate D. She's really annoying. She is really annoying. But equally, if you're D, I get how she just thinks, "Oh, give me some money. Come on." <laughs> so I I, just, I, I get, I get why, I get why they, they are, they are resentful of Chen and her husband. Because are these women are lives... resentful of
1: each other. Then basically, yeah, is... but yeah, absolutely. Should I, they I just I'm... have a little girl fight and fight it all out? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm joking. Yeah, OnlyFans.
0: Uh, they should have lots of money. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think I've solved their problem. They yes, both have to go and do
1: Mud wrestling on OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: there think, you go. I think
1: we've excelled ourselves today, Graham. I really think we have and um, these
0: are these are the sorts of problems that just tear families apart. So I'm sure listeners will have some uh, strong words and my favorite responders today will be getting, oh it's that time of the year, a waitrose caramel ribbon easter egg. <gasps> that sounds exciting, Graham. Well, you should be excited to milk chocolate hollow egg with caramel pieces and sea salt hand decorated with a bronze shimmer, yes, it is smooth milk chocolate with crunchy salted caramel pieces, uh, decorated with a shimmering chocolate ribbon. It's Easter indulgence, all wrapped up, and of course, waiters and partners' Easter eggs are made using fair trade sourced cocoa. There you go. Hi, Maria. I'm. Now, <laughs> This is Angie from Partyville. I'm a bit short of the Moe and need a couple of hundred for new shoes and bar funds so I can party with my pals tonight. Be a love. This is Maria was saying uh, she should just roll with the punches and, you know, she has the money. Give it to her. Uh, isn't the problem that they asked her borrow some money, then just took it without agreement? That is a no no. That's from Simon. Hi, great Maria. I do sympathize with Chen's situation. However, your husband's sister will always be grateful that you spared her the embarrassment of not being able to compete. This is the swimming element, I'm guessing. And um, will she though? I feel like she won't always be grateful. Um, and I can't help but think that it's worth more than £200, half the total cost. You mentioned that this happened a few years ago. That's not really often and clearly not an endemic problem. Do nothing. Cherish the relationship with your parents, with your partner's mother and sister. And remember that if things go wrong for you in the future, maintaining those bonds will feel particularly valuable. Wise words from Stuart and Leeds. I understand how frustrated Chen is, as I'm an older sibling with a younger sibling who just takes and takes... Takes, but chen your mother-in-law will always prioritize d she will always give her money is the convenience your mother-in-law gives you looking after the house more than the irritation of d getting money if so then you are just going to have to suck it up give your mother-in-law access only to a bank account uh, that has just enough money to cover costs that's some helen and preston wise words at uh, jazz is in birmingham I think it's purely down to the principle of the issue. The mother-in-law couldn't be using Chen and her husband's money to fund the other daughter. The, mon- the money doesn't belong to her. I definitely get the husband to have a word with his mother to point out it's their money and they should decide what's done with it. In what in what world does a swimming costume cost £400? I think it was £20 swimming costume plus a weekend away in the south of France to deal with the trauma of a torn swimming cossey. A power of attorney does not mean that she needs access to the bank account. So take away access the power of attorney will give her access to if anything happens to you but she doesn't need it right now Caroline and Cardiff and finally Mitchell from Dublin Uh, look back at how much maintenance costs on average and set up a standing order to send the average maintenance cost to your mother-in-law every month she doesn't need access to your account then if she needs extra she will need to explain why and you can make the decision to send or not okay thanks for all of those I'm going to give the easter egg to Stuart in Leeds I thought they wise wise Stuart in Leeds you're getting that delicious just uh, um Easter egg. That's what
1: it is. Graham's guide. Um, I called. I realised I called Chen, the name of this letter. Sorry, nobody would have noticed unless I'd have said it. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered where you got the new name from halfway through.
0: Chen Chase James. It's from this letter, is it? Oh, I see.
1: Okay. Yes, I'm very sorry, Chen, that I called you Quinn. Dear Graham and Maria. Although I'm in my mid-thirties, my dilemma makes me feel and sound like a teenager. But hey-ho! I'm attending an evening Spanish class at a university. All the other students are university age and most of them chat away during the class in English about their exciting lives and subsequent hangovers. I'm taking this class because my partner is in an English and I want to be able to communicate with her family in their native language. And it's paying off. That's in brackets, I don't know what that means. After Christmas, one evening evening, I randomly sat beside a girl in class who, quite frankly, wasn't very good. She mostly spoke in English and during conversational practice, spent most of her time Google translating words, uh, which made speaking with her and developing fluency really very painful and difficult. After the class, she said she really enjoyed sitting with me because unlike most people in the class, I uh, I actually try and that makes her better. Ever since then, she's become my shadow, and now she's taken my regular seat, so even if I'm late, she's waiting for me. But I'm finding that she's slowing me down, and frustratingly, I spend most of the time teaching her. We have an oral exam at the end of the year, and we will do this in pairs. The teacher has said we can choose our own pairs, and I didn't want to be paired with the shadow. But I know she's inevitably going to ask me, and I don't know how to say no. I can't think of a legitimate reason that is kind yet fair, I've not had the chance to ask my other friends in the class to pair up yet. How do I say no to Shadow? Or do I just accept that my learning is slowly stalling and I'll not do as well as I should have done had I not acquired this new friend that we're calling Shadow? Estoy desesperada, gracias. That means I'm desperate, thank you. And that is from Quinn in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Oh, Quinn in Newcastle, look... Mm -hmm. Your oral exam, I you know, I'm sort of working in the moment here, but your oral exam is not until the end of the year. Where are we now? We're in March. The end of the day, you've got all of those months to pick someone, choose someone, talk to the other people in the class, find someone who's really good so that you do the oral with them. And, you know... It's like, if you're with somebody who's better, then you'll be better. Like, you've done quite a lot of work with this girl. Uh, I mean, you know, it would be unkind to dump her now, but maybe, you know, it will spur her on and she'll get better on her own. You don't want to help her at your cost, is what I'm guessing. I mean, you can be the nice person and do that, or you can just find someone... To pair up with for this oral exam at Christmas and start practicing with them now, and explain to a nice girl who's a bit hopeless, I'm sorry, um, I'm pairing up with, mm-mm, girl's name, boy's name, and uh, we're doing lots of conversational practice, we're going to the pub, et etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I can't think of any other way around it, frankly.
0: Well, I just think, you know, what's Spanish for no? Just <laughs> if she asks you, just go no. Well, no, he uh, wants or... to be
1: kind. He or she wants to be kind. I don't know Quinn. Yes, Is Quinn. that a boy's I name? I
0: yes, yes I, I sort of thought, I got the vibe that Quinn was a woman. I don't know why. I. So did vibe, I.
1: But, anyway. but I don't know yeah, what names anyway. anymore.
0: Well, I just think. Quinn if you are a woman put your big girl pants on and if you're a boy put your big boy pants on because you know (laughs) this is ridiculous this is stupid because now here's my thing though I think Quinn might be getting this wrong I think talk to the teacher talk to the lecturer and say you know this oral exam how does it work because if you go into the oral exam with someone who's brilliant you might look a bit rubbish Whereas if you go in with numpty, um, then you might seem like Salvador Dali wanging on. um, while because <laughs> he fa- lived in
1: Spain. Excellent. Yeah, thank you.
0: So, uh, so maybe, Dare. you know, numpty fails and you come out smelling
1: of uh, das Rosas. <laughs> uh, I- no, but if it's conversational, Graham, I mean, you know, you want to be able to have a fluent and fluid conversation with someone for your oral exam. Not someone who's constantly Googling, that's going to straw you know... Uh, Quinn has said that this is slowing them down as well uh, and it, you want to be the best you can be you want to be the best you can be so that you can speak to your girlfriend's family it, partner's family in um, their own language and this is not helping which
0: hopefully is Spanish <laughs> hopefully that is Spanish I, I hope <laughs> yeah, I hope you got that, that, that bit right would be terrible if
1: they were Polish wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah oh, oh it's Portuguese oh oh I see I, <laughs> oh my
1: god oh <laughs> my god um, yes I think you have to be cruel to be kind Quinn yes, Graham's right maybe talk to the teacher but I would just take these matters into your own hand and pair up with somebody else quickly. You've got time now. Find someone who's really good, who puts their hand up and is really good and say, do you want to pair See, up I'm with not, I'm not sure
0: you want to be chatting to a really good person. Because if you look a bit lost, if you look a bit kind of like, oh, I don't know what they've said to me. No, but Whereas Quinn it is, is clearly
1: he... quite good. And if she, you know, a conversational... Well, used, used to
3: be. <laughs> oral exam.
1: It's an oral exam. So it's about watching somebody's eyes and talking back at them and a fluent, fluid conversation. Rather than halting and rubbish. I think. I think, the teacher,
0: I think the teacher will look at the two of them having their halting conversation and it will be clear that it's the it's the one who wants to use Google Translate who is the one holding the conversation back. And I think so long as you've got a kind of a nice accent, I think Quinn could do very, very well in a in a terrible conversation.
1: As no? long as you've got a nice accent. Do your accent, please do your accent.
0: Uh, I, I, don't, I don't. I was going to try and say goodbye in Spanish. Oh, but I don't even. Oh, adiós, adiós, No, adios, you don't Maria. need to do, put
1: a shush at the end of that. It's not S. Adiós, <laughs> Maria. Maria. Um, we're not really helping but I think Quinn wants out of this shadow (laughs) relationship so maybe you have to be cruel to be kind Quinn Um, well just cruel to be cruel just get out of it nobody wants to be cruel these days
0: it's a a one night class a week you know it's a temporary thing just you know say to girl look I'm really sorry but I'm taking you know as you've noticed I'm taking this very seriously and I you know I need to do better so you know hasta la vista baby Uh, see that's Spanish as well Uh, (laughs)
1: Now you've, into, this, now you've turned into. It's quite in, easy Spanish. Now you've turned into <laughs> Los Terminato
0: Quin. <laughs> Queen. Hashlevista Maria. Shadow. I was I will Hombre.
1: Stop now. Um, I think the listeners will be much more helpful yeah, than I'm we sure are. They but one
0: of my favourite responders will be getting a Waitrose caramel ribbon Easter egg. Oh, delicious. Hand decorated, you know, hand decorated. Quinn, you say, menote te gusta, vit. It will take her that long to translate if you can find another partner or download the Duolingo app. That's from Lynn from the Wirral. Hi, Graeme and Maria. Uh, Quinn, you need to be brave. Have a chat with the lecturer, explain the situation and how worried you are. What happens when one student has a good standard of Spanish conversation and the partner doesn't? The best option would be to have the difficult conversation and find another partner. If everyone else is now partnered up, then you need to speak to the lecturer. You sound like you really want to do your best, so you need to put your f- yourself first. Good luck. That's from Julie in Liverpool. Uh, why don't you suggest changing who you're partnered with to avoid picking up bad habits from one another and mixing it up a bit then you can change around a bit without giving offence also helping someone else can seriously improve your own skills and that's from Catherine Norfolk very wise and uh, finally uh, Kirsty in Malton uh, do you know who you'd rather be partnered with if not of a chat with a teacher that might identify a new partner for Shadow 2 it's only a classmate not a real friend wise words I'm going to give the uh, Easter egg to uh Julie in Liverpool. Why not? The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food
4: to feel good about.
0: Virgin Radio. Now, if you don't know my first guest today, you are quite frankly an idiot and missing out on some of the best films and TV shows ever made. He's now written a book, Did I Ever Tell You This? His name is Sam Neill and he joins us now. Hi, Sam.
3: Graham, i nice to hear you. It's to be been slightly stressful getting through to you. I'm so sorry.
0: I'm so sorry. I mean, (laughs) we used to be great at the Zoom, and now we've lost that skill. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah, old skills, like milking cows.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is is the milking cows of radio. Here we are. Mm. Uh, So, Sam, this book, I loved this book. I really, really did. It's like spending time with you. I I hesitate to call it a memoir because it's not quite, that. How do you describe this book?
3: Look, it was it was written under rather constrained circumstances. I, a year ago, I, I was told I, I had a very bad cancer and I I was unable to go to work, so I thought I'd do something in its place. So I started to write. And so I, I was just writing down stories for my kids as much as anything, I, I think. And then after a while, they'd accumulated to the extent that I thought, maybe if I extend this a bit, maybe it's a book. And then I wrote, so I wrote for four months, you know, flat out, because um, I, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how long I had to live. Um, but I survived. And then I, then I sat on it for a couple of months. And I thought, is it, is it is it something I want anyone to see? Do I want anyone else to read this? Anyway, I sort of plucked up my courage, and I got hold of three publishers that were recommended to me. And they all came back within 24 hours, and they said, we want to publish your book. So that was kind of heartening. And, um, you know, here we are a year later. I'm still alive and kicking and well. and, um, And the book is out. It's just come out.
0: And it's yeah. a real mix, it's a real mix of kind of your passions and your life and your career. And I just wondered, because you were in that weird situation where you were kind of facing your own mortality, kind of eye to eye, did, did that change the way you told these stories? Did it change the way you saw these memories?
3: I think it did. It, it, it made me look back. I, don't, I never looked back much, you know. There's no point in looking back. But I, I had all the opportunity and all the time to look back and sort of evaluate where I've been and what mattered to me and the people I loved and and the things that made me laugh and the ridiculous scrapes I've got myself into and sort of reevaluate. And for instance, it was, it was lovely to go back and spend time in Ireland again, you know, growing up there and, and spend time with my parents who were so odd and eccentric and adorable. And, um, and just spend the time and re- and remember um all, all that was good and and some of the, some of the bad stuff too so yeah i think I think it gave me a perspective, and the perspective was mostly this: I felt no- inordinately grateful for the 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 life I've had, which has been a, a tremendous surprise to me. i mean, I never thought I would be an an a, 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 an actor i would I never thought I'd be able to make a living as an actor let alone an actor on screen. And you know how they always tell children, you know, follow your dreams. I didn't have any dreams. And they certainly, if I had any, they wouldn't have involved being an actor on the screen. So it's all been a bit of a surprise. It continues to surprise me. And here I am talking to Graham Norton on the radio. Now, Who would have, who, who would have imagined that?
0: Uh, yeah, who, 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 how, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but here's the thing: like a lot of very successful people, they say, "Oh, yeah, I'm not really ambitious." And you kind of think, "Yeah, right." But reading this book, you genuinely aren't. I mean, your whole career, you just seem to—it just seems to have happened to you. Is—is is that? I mean, is that true? Is that really what happened?
3: I, th- I think I've been—I've been really lucky. Um, the sort of people I've run across that have made a difference in my life. like, James Mason and his wife—they—they they saw me in a film, an Australian film—and he called me out of the blue. He didn't know me; I didn't know him—and said, "Look, we think you're really good, and we think you should—you should be in Europe, and you should be working. And I'm sending you an air ticket, and um, come and stay with us in 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 um, Lake by Lake Geneva, and then well, I'll get you—you know—you can be with my agent in, in England." So people like that made an enormous difference in my life. And I would have never thought, would have never presumed that I could have a career um, uh, abroad. But it happened largely because of people like that.
0: And Mm. and in my head, in my head, Sam, you know, you're not an old man. And yet, you know, there's weird bits of the book, like you end up at the Windmill Theatre, which I I didn't expect (laughs) Sam Neill to have ever done. Uh, Tell us, tell us how that happened.
3: Look, um, um, my my old granny, who lived in Wales, before we went to, to New Zealand, I was sent to live with her for about three months, and we we came up to London, and stayed with her sister, my great aunt, who had adopted a, a girl called Josie Saunders, who, um, and uh, quite late in life, and Josie um, had a had a theatrical career. The only person that I've ever come across that had any sort of theatrical connections uh, in in my family. And she had she'd become a dancer, not just a dancer, but a dancer at the windmill, you know, in sort of vaudeville in the windmill. And these two old, you know, Edwardian um, widows took me at the age of seven to the windmill theatre where, where I saw this fantastic Tableau vivant with dancing girls and and you know total nudity. I, my my little eyes were on stalks. You know it, it was the most extraordinary experience. Why they t- decided to take me at all? I have no idea at all. But it was it it obviously got me you know interested. But well, not just in the theatre, <laughs> but possibly in women as
0: well. <laughs> I hear you. It was formative. It was formative in in many senses, Sam. Formative, and you listen, could say
3: that,
0: yes. Yes, yes. Um, and there's lots of things about movies you've been in, all the movies we've heard of, um, but there's some about movies you weren't in. Uh, tell us, Sam, about meeting Barbara Streisand.
3: Oh, yes. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> They were looking for someone to to play opposite Barbara in Yentl, and uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Barbara as as an actor. I think she's phenomenal, and an ex- extraordinary. You know, she's she's a phenomenon. I'm not a big Barbara Streisand um, singing. <laughs> you know, I, her music doesn't do anything for me at all. Uh, I don't know. It's just personal taste. But um, so I found myself um, in New York. They flew me over and I was, uh, uh, you know, I was presented to her in a suite up in up in, um, you know, a a very high floor and somewhere in Manhattan. And uh, we had a chat for a couple of hours. She was very charming and, and very amusing, too. And we talked about the film ultimately. And I was curious about what sort of film it was. I hadn't read a script at this point. And she told me a little bit about the story and what the, the character she was playing. And and, and and I made a fatal mistake. I said, Barbara, is there... You know, it was a sort of bit of a pause. I said, is there any music in, in the film by any chance? Are there any songs? And she said, yes, and... <laughs> would, you, would you like to would you like to hear hear one? And I said... Oh well, yes, that'd be wonderful. And she, we were sitting on a sofa. She was, she was no more than sort of four or five feet away from me, and she sang at full volume. Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> um, direct to me, you know, with full eye contact, and she sang the whole thing, and I could feel the the smile on my face beginning to freeze. <laughs> <laughs> i sort of hoping when is this going to end? <laughs> and it did end uh, um, it, it eventually. And then she said, uh, would you like to hear another? And I said, well, yes, of course, <laughs> of course I would. <laughs> so she was nice enough to sing me two songs, but um, I, that, that doesn't happen every day, does it? it Barbara Streisand no. sings directly to you. Mm. <laughs>
0: I also, I also love the idea that someone thought Sam Neill should be in Yentel. It seems unlikely, um, but, you know, at least you got yes. a trip to New York out of it.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and she, was, she was very charming, and it was, it was kind of... She, she pointed across the river to, I guess it was Queens, and she said, that's where I grew up, and where we are now in Manhattan was always this was her sort of promised land you know i didn't come yeah. here until i was 12 years years old isn't that amazing she li- lived all that time across the river but never come came came to manhattan wow and and sam
0: you know you talked earlier about uh your your uh, treatment for cancer and and that you were ill while you're writing this book uh, and it's great that you're you're feeling so much better now and i wondered uh, you know, because it's not that you burn bridges, but you are very frank about people you've worked with.
3: Uh, did, did you? Have, did you?
0: Did you? Did you have any any second thoughts about that?
3: Look, I think I was pretty fair, really. I, I, to, it I, um, yeah. Look, um, I think probably Judy Davis might 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 be slightly. Troubled if she bothered to read the book. But then again, we haven't spoken for 30 years or something, so (laughs) it's probably not going to make a lot of difference there.
0: (laughs) Yes, I haven't met her. I must say, I I was very pleased that... uh, Because, you know, you always kind of think, is it just me? But I'm glad that you and Harvey Keitel also did not get on.
3: (laughs) No, he wasn't very kind to me, to be honest. And he wasn't very nice to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure he had his reasons perhaps perhaps he just didn't like me <laughs>
0: with, with <laughs> or, or reason, anyone i don't
3: know <laughs> and
0: you you know in the book you're very you are i mean yes you're you're frank and you're 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 truthful in the book but you're very generous about all the people you've acted opposite in movies where they then went on to be nominated for an oscar or to win an oscar does it frustrate you that somehow you know you kind of think well, hang on i'm i was there too i i was i was clearly very good in this film
3: what about me no look I, I'm i'm always very pleased to be in the company of someone who gets a great big gong um but yeah i i I uh I've worked with some wonderful people and particularly women you know just great great women and I I love working with women I always think my my I lift my game when I'm working with um with with an extraordinary actress and and I've worked with quite a few I list them at one point in 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 the book and I I started to count them up and then I lost count but it's, it's a huge amount of great women I'm very grateful for that,
0: and we should say congratulate you because you are, of course, now Sir. Talking of Oscars, you do have an award. You are Sir Sam Neil.
3: Yes, I don't. I, I don't like to be reminded of it, but I, I, oh, sorry. It's, 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 yes, it's it's. Um, I, I'm hoping it's going to improve my, you know, bookings for restaurants and things like that. But it doesn't seem to make a blind bit of difference so far.
0: Uh, listen sam it's been so so lovely to talk to you and i'm i'm glad you're feeling so much better um uh did i ever tell you this the memoir the stories of sam neill is out now in hardback do yourself a favor get it it is a real real treat it's like spending uh many hours in your company sam and that's always a good thing thank you very much for uh you, battling technology well, and getting on the to air today care. all right lovely to talk to you good take good. care sam Bye. You bye, too, bye, thank bye. You. bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Uh, Virgin Radio. It's time to meet my second guest of the day. Uh, you'll know him as Jean Valjean <laughs> and the Phantom. Now, I was going to say you played Paul Hollywood, but you don't play Paul Hollywood uh, in The Great British Bake Off The Music. It's John Owen Jones. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah,
5: it's great to be here. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very, very well. All the better for talking to you. Um, So uh, so some of the names have been changed. Uh,
5: Yes, I actually don't play Paul Hollywood in the Great British Bake Off musical. I play a character called Phil Hollinghurst. Now, there are reasons for that, (laughs) one of which might be legal. I don't know. But, um, you know, if you give a a real life character a different name, you can take um, certain liberties with the performance. So uh, I think that's why we've done that.
0: Uh, but Paul Hollywood
5: has seen it, hasn't he? Yes, he came on the very first night and he'd never <laughs> been to a musical before, let alone one that starred him. <laughs> and he loved it so much that he's going to come back, bring his mum, and he, got me, uh, he gave me not just one but two Hollywood handshakes. So I felt very oh. privileged. I
0: bet you did. That's amazing. I love that he's never been to a musical. But he must—he must have been thrilled. With the, yeah, the music, yeah. the
5: singing, the dancing. Yeah, I mean, can you great. imagine going to see a show about your life, Graham, and you've never <laughs> seen a show before? It's crazy, isn't it? What a way to start. Uh, that is, I mean,
0: he, every other musical will be a slight disappointment, I imagine, like, from now on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this, I love this idea because it sounds like the sort of idea that someone might have come up with, and and then either it never happened or it was done in a basement in Edinburgh. But this is a big, you know what I mean. But this yeah. is a big West End show.
5: It's Hayden. It's Hayden Gwyn. It's you. Uh, when at what stage did you get involved in this madness? Well, we tried it out in Cheltenham last year the Everyman Theatre, beautiful theatre in Cheltenham, and um, it went down so well, uh, because, you know, with a show like this, you don't quite know what to expect when you come and see it, because how do you turn a TV show about baking into a musical, right? Well, the answer is, the only way I can tell you how we do that is to come and see the show. But we tried it out in Cheltenham, it went down an absolute storm, a theatre became available in London, and so here we are doing a brand-new British musical in the West End.
0: And, and the album of the original London cast recording, that'll be released at the end of uh, next month or April, right?
5: Oh, uh, that's news to me. I knew we'd recorded it, but I didn't know when it was coming out. So um, I think you've just had an exclusive there, Graham. Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) Well, I, if I've said too much, uh, I'm (laughs) I'm so sorry. sure it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love just looking at the the list of songs on the album, though. (laughs) There's... (laughs) Are some great song titles yeah. uh, what, song, what songs does uh, Phil slash Paul uh, get to perform
5: Well I do a lovely duet in Act 2 With Hayden Gwynn who plays Pam Lee Uh, loosely based on Prue Leith called I'd Never Be Me Without You uh, in which we talk about how we have to coexist to survive Um, but my favourite song that I sing is is a number called Slap It Like That where I demonstrate (laughs) I know, I know I demonstrate to the entire cast of uh, competitors in the Bake Off tent how to stretch and slap strudel dough. Now it's based on an actual thing that Paul did in the TV show so it's not um, you know nothing is too far from from reality in this, but uh, it is a very funny number, and I thoroughly enjoy slapping that dough every night. And is it real? I mean, presumably it's real dough. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And some nights it's stickier than others, let me tell you. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah. And and is there like is there a plot or is it just kind of like watching an episode of Bake Off?
5: Well, it, it's actually the entire series condensed into two and a half hours and you follow oh. the story of contestants throughout and you know um, I'm not going to tell you who wins you'll have to come and watch it to see that. Um but it basically, you know each contestant has its own backstory and, you know, everybody gets a chance to shine. It's a proper ensemble piece where everybody gets a good time on stage. You know, it's not there's not one person that's just hanging around doing nothing in the show. Everybody's busy. <laughs> it's full on. It's a lot of fun. It's a real sense of, um, well, I mean, if, if you love the TV show, you are going to love this musical because it is literally the show on stage. Oh, yeah, on, on, on stage and on steroids. Uh,
0: we should also say uh, there is merch. You brought me a lovely apron. I thank you very much. You're
5: very welcome. You're very welcome. All the merch, uh, of course, is available at the theatre. Oh, you know it <laughs> is. Yes, I'm contractually uh, obliged I- to mention that.
0: And now we're making you go full method because I know you, I'm sure when you agreed to come on the show you didn't think I'm going to have to be eyeball to eyeball with a <laughs> Bake Off contestant. Uh, but there was Martha; she tackled you in the corridor, yeah. And you
5: now have some cake in front of you.
0: Did you enjoy the rose and pistachio cake?
5: Oh yeah. <laughs> now I used to be a butcher. I grew up in a working in a butcher shop, and now I'm playing a baker. So um, you know, uh, one day I might be a candlestick maker, but in the meantime, <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying. Martha's cake, rose pistachio, a beautifully light sponge, wonderful water icing, it's absolutely delicious. It's, uh, It would definitely get a handshake.
0: He's gone full methodly. ladies and He's yeah. gone full method, oh, yeah. gone full method. <laughs> he has.
5: <laughs> In fact, the only so, reason I agreed to be on this show, Graham, was so I could get the cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's why most people show up. <laughs>
0: So here's the thing. You you when you started um, in musical theatre, yeah. Uh, I, re- I read a quote from you where all your dreams came through in about what three years or
5: so. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I left drama school in 1994. Um, and my dreams were to work with Stephen Sondheim, work at the National Theatre, and play Jean Valjean in Les Mis. And I achieved all them within three years. So then I had to make new ones up. Um, but now I've finally achieved, you know, my final dream of meeting you, Graham. So, of you course, know, kids, yes. kids listening to this, keep going, because you know, you can't achieve your dreams. <laughs> Um, tell me, so a Little Light like Music at the National, was that your first professional job? Um, no, it was one of my first ones, yeah. But I got to work with Dame Judy Dench, who was an absolute delight, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. But ironically, uh, I was actually living in her house at the time. <laughs> because her daughter, Finty, was in drama school with me, so I knew Judy from before. So, you know, I wasn't fazed by working with this utter legend when everyone else in the rehearsal room was like, they were scared of her, you know, even though she's the nicest human being on earth. So I was able to do, you know, working at the National Theatre was just wonderful. And working with Sondheim, you know, who told me in front of the entire cast that I sang with great style, It's the wrong style, but it's great style, he said. (laughs) Um, So, you know, as like a 26-year-old, hearing, you know, words like that from your heroes, yeah, I was living the dream. I still am. And then, but you were like when you were playing Jean Valjean, yeah. you were far too young, weren't you? <laughs> I mean, it was kind of it yeah. was kind yeah. Of nuts. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, I was twenty six. I think I remain the youngest person ever to play Jean Valjean. It's a character that ages from his thirties to his seventies throughout the show, you know, and it usually goes to older actors. But at twenty six, I was offered the opportunity to take over the role, and of course, I, you know, was, when a door opens like that, you walk through it. And I haven't really looked back. And you know, as a result of that I then went to play Phantom for a long time in the West End and you know I've done these things all over the world twice on Broadway I've done name is twice on Broadway um, and I've you know played in some of the greatest theaters in the world and all thanks to that one opportunity I had back in the 1990s so I'm, I'm very grateful
0: and now uh, Broadway I know before lockdown you came over to Broadway didn't you to yeah. do a, a workshop uh, for a new show is that happening or has that kind of gone away now
5: Um, well that's the thing workshops um, you know basically where you develop an idea sometimes they, they come to fruition sometimes they don't most of the times they don't sorry I'm still eating a bit of cake
0: do you know I was going to say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like- I, couldn't, I couldn't leave it alone. I'm sorry. All
5: right, Paul Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, my, my,
5: cost, my costumes are going to be a bit tight this afternoon when I go back into the two-show day. Um, yeah, some shows happen, some shows don't, but Bake Off came from a workshop, you know, and Love Productions, Richard Maccarrow, who owns Love Productions, um, who developed the TV show, have a hand in Bake Off. You know, we actually have a lot of the mixers, the uh, the KitchenAid mixers that they use in the TV show. We have have on stage, you know, ones from the actual tent. And, you know, um, when you have people, you know, that keen on getting the musical together in the yeah. room at a workshop, you know, it usually does happen, but they're few and far between, um, you know, because, you know, how do you make a musical? It's such a difficult thing to do, you know. Um, but, you know, but with Bake Off, I think they, they've got the, I mean, I have to say they've got the recipe right. Oh well done. I know. Sorry. know, it sorry. must
0: be it must be fun for you, you know, being in a big crowd-pleasing thing, hearing big belly laughs from a crowd. That must be that must be a, a, an enjoyable day at work.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've done shows uh, throughout my career where people die all the time lim is phantom there's just it's nice to be in a show where nobody actually dies on stage so uh, alert. yeah and uh, yeah spoiler alert yeah i don't think anybody dies during the tv show either do they but uh, the stakes are quite low yeah and it's it's hugely enjoyable you know because we didn't know the very first performance we didn't know what an audience was going to think of the great british bake off musical but you know the instant screaming and cheers and huge laughs told us that we had something very special and it was an absolute delight to go through that program. Process of not knowing and suddenly having all your beliefs in what I think is one of the best British musicals in the last 20 years, your belief in something like that to be you know, vindicated and have an audience love it as much as you do.
0: Well, I'm so pleased for you. Good luck with the rest of the run. It's there till the 13th of May. You can get tickets for Great British Bake Off the Musical at bakeoffthemusical.com. John Owen Jones, thank you so much for coming in to see us now. Finish your cake. Uh,
5: (laughs) I already have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Get some more. Get some more. I will, I will. (laughs) All right, take care of yourself, sir. Bye. Thanks for for joining us. Bye-bye. Stay right where you are, there's a round of Word Up and we speak to Andy Osho about her brand new BBC drama, Blue Lights. But first, ding ding, morning Martha.
4: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm very good. We had some trouble getting Sam <laughs> Neill uh, on the radio from New Zealand. You also had some problems getting in today.
4: <laughs> I know, it's a bit less impressive when it's just from the south coast up to London, but no, it wasn't, wasn't the smoothest of journeys, but we're here, we've got the cake, you're, we're all good.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, you're here and you've got cake. What? (laughs) more could you want Uh, what is what is the cake what is the cake
4: so this is a rose and pistachio cake
0: OK. But now, I've so I've been saying all morning, this is a Ramadan uh, recipe. What makes it a Ramadan recipe?
4: I think it's the kind of celebratoriness of it. So it's a lovely recipe by Shalina Permaloo, and she has written how it's very regal. It's got all those lovely kind of classic flavours. Um, and I think it's just a lovely celebratory cake and also really easy to make, which I can imagine if you're fasting all day, you don't want to be slaving baking all day. <laughs> so you want something nice and easy to whip up, that then you can... Enjoy with the family in the evening. And I, I mean, it's cake, obviously it is a
0: cake, I I, I wouldn't question you at all, but a loaf? we call it a loaf? We it a loaf?
4: A deco- it's decorated loaf. Really. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, it is a loaf cake. So last week we had a, a bunt cake. <laughs> we're doing all the different variations, so this week we're having a loaf cake. It's another nice, simple one, and loaf cakes are good because they keep that moisture in, because you've got such a thick slab of cake going on. It really retains moisture, and it's an oil-based cake as well, so you just know that it, it will last in a tin for a few days if you don't munch it all straight away.
0: Do you know, I retain so little in my brain, but I do remember that last week's was also an oil-based
4: Oh, look at this. Maybe you were making it in the week, who knows?
0: (laughs) In my sleep.
4: (laughs) It's gone into your subconscious. You'll be ready.
0: (laughs) Uh, Right, here we go. Uh, What do we do?
4: So we're going to start by lining our cake tin. Um, For a loaf tin, you just kind of want to make one long strip of paper that goes up the two short edges and down the centre. Then we are melting butter in a saucepan and then using a little bit of that butter to brush the edges of the tin so that ensures you get a really nice, even coating and you're not going to get any stuck cake. Then we are going to combine some plain flour, caster sugar, and we've got ground almonds, which add to the moisture in this cake. Some chopped pistachio kernels for a little splash of green. That's all getting mixed together. And then you add all the wet ingredients into the dry ingredients. So it's such a simple one bowl cake, which we're all grateful for. And your washer uppers will thank you for as well. So you make a little well in the middle of those dry ingredients and add in three eggs, vegetable oil, and that melted butter. And then a little splash of rose water. Now you want to be careful because you can overdo, you can overdo rose water in up with a, yes. a bar of soap instead of a loaf cake. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: so th- it's like Granny's knicker drawer. It's <laughs> <laughs> yes.
4: so you just want a tiny amount. And Shalina's left a really helpful note as well. If you are making this for Ramadan and you want to avoid alcohol, check your bottles because a lot of extracts are alcohol based, but you can find ones that are water based, but you just might need a little bit extra to get that kind of powerful, punchy flavor. So, that's all going to go into your loaf tin once the batter's nice and smooth. And then, this is a little, a little top tip if you want to get those loaf cakes ooh, that have that perfect ooh, yes. split. In the middle. So, you want to take either a sharp knife or a kind of dough scraper, something that's kind of angular and flat, dip the end into some oil. And then just place that onto the top of the raw batter. It will kind of leave a little line of oil on top of your cake and this will help the cake to, enc- will encourage it to expand in the correct ways in the oven and you'll get that lovely natural split down the middle rather than one on the side or some place that you don't want to split.
0: Wow. <laughs> is, that how, is, that, is that how that perfect split happens? Is that Does everyone do that or is, that, is it sometimes just luck?
4: I mean it's definitely sometimes just luck but it's always helpful to have a few tricks up your sleeves to kind of control, <laughs> control what can be controlled and this should ensure that you get that split right in the middle. Makes it look Excellent. lovely. So that okay. bakes 45 to 50 minutes and then you whack it out of the oven, mix up a quick icing, it's a lovely lemon um, icing, gets mixed up with icing sugar, lemon juice, drizzle that over the top of your cooled cake and then some beautiful cook's ingredients, rose petals and a few pistachio nuts to finish.
0: I mean, you've made that sound very, very simple and you really have. Um, and what, how hot was our oven by the way?
4: The oven is going on I believe one... 90 degrees. Gas mark five. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'm ready. I have got the recipe in front of me. Don't (laughs) worry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the recipe is here. I'm ready to ready to spiel it. But yeah, so it bakes. And it's a really nice one actually to do double. So I made a couple of these yesterday when I was baking them. I made this yesterday to make sure it was ready for today. But you can do just a couple well. in the oven. I oh, know, just as well. <laughs> I nearly had to feed it to my train passengers. Um, <laughs> I made a couple. And it's a really easy recipe to adapt the flavours of as well. If you're not really a rose fan, you could easily go with a nice orange zest in there. Matches really nicely with oh, yeah. the almonds. Um, just do a lemon icing. Leave out the rose water. Lemon and pistachio works really nice nicely too so the world is your oyster with this lovely easy loaf cake so thank you Shalina
0: Well, if you'd like to make it, uh, that recipe and indeed all our recipes are on the Waitrose Hub. You just go to waitrose.com slash showchef and that recipe, along with all of Martha's recipes, can be found there. Or you can see it on the socials at Virgin Radio UK. You can see the lovely picture. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about.
1: Virgin Radio.
0: Right, it is time to meet my guest today. a Comedian, novelist, podcasters, but for the purposes of today's chat and actor she stars as sandra cliff in the new gritty bbc one police drama blue lights her name is andy Osho. welcome to the show andy oh thank you what an intro wow i've done
6: some things
0: you have I. T- thinking, <laughs> well that that woman works yeah she she puts the work in dang girl <laughs> Uh, so this this show, it's kind of unexpected because it's not just uh, a police procedural. This is a very kind of gritty look at the specific policing in Northern Ireland. Isn't that right?
6: That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's what I really love about it as well, because like you say, it's not a procedural. It's not about how things happen, as it were, like within like the police world or whatever. It's really like taking a really specific look at the, the challenges that people in that situation face, which, you know, as, for folks who watch the show, they'll see that, you know, there's safety things and things like that, that those officers have to think about that officers in other constabularies don't have to concern themselves with, like checking under their car for devices that might have been put there overnight or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating world. And, yeah, it was a real pleasure to be part of.
0: So who is Sandra Cliff? Tell us all.
6: Okay, so Sandra, who I play, is the uh, one of the main custody sergeants. So basically, she's in charge of making sure that the detained people that come in have uh, are processed um and taken care of while they're in like our custody as it were in the police station. Um yeah, so that's her job.
0: And now the guys who wrote this, I think they did the Salisbury poisoning as well. Didn't That's you? right. So they they have they have they have this thing of just doing very realistic dramas. So is any of this story? Based, I mean, particularly Grace, played by Sean Brooks. Uh, She's the, you know, a social worker who decides later in life to become a police officer. Is that based on on an actual case? Is that a real person?
6: That's inspired by a real person. And then a lot of the stuff that happens and a lot of the story beats have come from interviews that the writers did. So, like you say, they really like to. Really instill like realism into what they write, and so Blue Lights is no different. And so they did like I think it was like thirty interviews with ex police officers, and took elements from what they said. Obviously turned it into fiction. So it's not like we're taking those stories and just recreating them on the screen. They turn them into fiction, and that's the sort of that's the show that people are going to hopefully enjoy. Uh, and how long night. were you over? How long were you over Northern Ireland for? Um. Gosh, I think about like four months, like on and off. So it was quite bitty the way that it was filmed in the sense of like, you know, they'd be doing some car chases one day and then next day, we you know, we might be in custody or something like that. So it was it was kind of over a few months, but backwards and forwards between home and and Belfast, um, where the whole show is filmed.
0: And obviously you'd been to Northern Ireland before. Did you look at Northern Ireland in a different way, having made this show?
6: Oh, 100%, because, you know, I mean, I said like previously as well, uh, in preparing for this, we, the, the production team were really helpful in giving me loads of research material, because up until that point, if you're not based there, then what you know about the place is usually based on what you're seeing in the news, which obviously is always crunch points that the news is reporting. And so it was really good to get to know the place by you know, by on my own, as it were, like, you know, go on, I went on a tourist bus and had to look around and stuff and, but also like finding out more about the history and the Troubles, but this show isn't about the Troubles, this is about a post Troubles Belfast almost, or post Troubles Northern Ireland, where it's just people living their lives. And so it was good to learn more about that because you know, when you're watching the news, so much, so much of the time, the context is the Troubles or how we're currently relating to the Troubles. So it's really good to be part of a show that's about Belfast beyond that.
0: And I think providing post Good Friday agreement everyone just thought oh well thank goodness that's over <laughs> yeah. but but this show you really see how sectarianism and tribalism still plays such a huge part in Northern Ireland
6: yeah and but what I really like about this show is that it's it's about now do you know what I mean it's not about it it's hard to describe it's not about say it's not about saying it's not talking about the troubles back then it's talking about how it inf- impacts people now which is of a whole generation of people that weren't born during that time. And so they're hearing it secondhand or they're not as interested or they want to move on from it. You know what I mean? Like all those sorts of nuanced things are part of, of the show, which I think, I hope that like folks watching it in Northern Ireland as well, will appreciate being represent, that side of them being represented rather than it all being about the past sort of yeah. thing.
0: I think they'll be quite shocked to see (laughs) see Northern Ireland like this, because it it does seem very realistic. You do kind of think, wow, (laughs) this is, yeah. Um, There's six of them. Now, you can see all of them um, from Monday night. Is that right?
6: That's right. So after the first episode goes out on BBC One, um, all six episodes are going to drop on iPlayer.
0: And tell me this because I didn't uh, see the last one. Is it a, a kind of open-ended thing? You know, why my blue lights keep flashing?
6: I mean, we we don't have a second season yet, but um, you know, if folks tune in and watch, maybe we will get one. But um, I can't I can't say anything about the ending because you know no. you don't want that. You want to no, just like good, yeah, yeah, no. enjoy no. unfolding. No. no.
0: And I believe Novel the Second is on the way.
6: It is. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, I think just to have finished <laughs> that's, that's probably a big part of it as, as you know Graham Oh it is, yeah it that, is, that's uh... the thing to do to finish them <laughs> It's a slog, it's a slog and so, um, and I really love this story as well because it's a little bit about my stand up past as well uh, I thought it might be, yeah. uh, tell the people what it's called the novel. It's called Tough Crowd and it's about a uh, an open mic comic who's kind of struggling to, to make it or to get any traction and then she She meets this guy. She really is into him. And then she discovers that he's got two kids. So that's really the tough crowd that she has to win over. Yeah, tough
0: (laughs) crowd, yeah. Yeah. Because Asking for a Friend came out, what, two years ago?
6: Yeah, yeah. It was 2000, what it, 21. My God, it was two years ago, yeah.
0: And what what brought you to Noveling? Noveling. Noveling. (laughs) (laughs) Noveling. Just being really
6: unique. And just (laughs) so I thought, well, I'll just start (laughs) (laughs) Noveling.
0: I love noveling. Me. I can't stop noveling. <laughs> what what brought you to the what brought you to writing?
6: Um well, I mean, I've always enjoyed writing, but um I just met this um agent like years ago and he was like, you know, they they're really looking for funny, strong female voices and I was like, yeah, 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 I'll totally write something and then proceeded not to um for probably about 10 years and then I finally sat down and so I put an idea together and he took it to a publisher and, and it just went from there, really. But I just, I love creating worlds and creating stories. So, yeah, it was a little bit of that, really.
0: And also, I guess it's a bit like doing stand-up, but you don't have to go anywhere. You can just stay in your house.
6: <laughs> Do it from the comfort of my own living room. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I got to the point where it's just... I mean, I, I really enjoyed my stand-up days, but I, I do love being home in the evening. I really do, and so yeah, being able to work at home more is is very welcome.
0: So, do you never do stand-up now?
6: No, no. I mean, I haven't since about I'd say about 2017. It wasn't like an abrupt stop. It was more. It was more of a petering, a petering out. Um, but I just felt like. I mean, I joke with people, I say, you know, I got therapy, so I didn't need to do stand-up anymore. But uh, I'm not (laughs) saying... But that's true. That that is true. Basically, I'm not saying every stand-up is cray-cray, but like, yeah, a little bit. No, but I I just... (laughs) um, There'll be letters. No, I just, I kind of, I felt like I couldn't do kind of everything that I wanted to do creatively through being a comedian. And I was an actor before, and so it was more of a returning to it rather than a, because I think some people, because they know me for the stand up, they think that then I became an actor, but it was more the other way around. It was like, I was an actor who wasn't, who couldn't get arrested. So I was like, what else can I do? Ah, up. And then yeah. it sort of completely took over.
0: Because I always think the difference... Like, being in... Performing's performing. You know, that that's kind of the same. But I always kind of think, at least as a comic, you've got some agency. You can make some yeah. calls. You can hustle up some work. Whereas an actor of its nature you're quite passive you're waiting for the call do you do not miss that kind of proactive thing of being a stand-up
6: yeah I mean I really applied myself into in that respect when I was a stand-up as well and that's partly one of the reasons why I started doing it because I wanted more control but even though you're right, you don't have that same level of control uh, as an actor. There's still stuff you can do. You can still be hustling and creating. I suppose that for me, that's where the writing comes in is that I'm yeah. not just waiting for someone to, you know, because the reality is I'm not necessarily gonna be the lead in something or, or the opportunity to do that is gonna be rare. But if I write it for myself, obviously that increases my chances. So, um, so that's where I guess that hustle element can still come in for me, um, you know, working as an actor.
0: And presumably when you do book events, the the stand up sort of comes out a little
6: oh that's that's actually really nice because I've done yeah I only got to do a couple of um in-person um book events because of you know we were still in uh, lockdown protocols and stuff like that but it was really nice to be in front of people and being yourself because obviously that's one of the joys of stand-up if you enjoy that is like being yourself in front of people as opposed to you know taking on a character so it was really nice to sort of be out there and just chatting with people and it's just like oh, I haven't quite I am completely lost it. <laughs> I would I couldn't do yeah. I couldn't do an Apollo but I haven't completely lost it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, tell me this. Remind us again. So when is Tough Crowd actually out?
6: So it's not out until July uh, 20th. Um, I think usually the um, the ebook is out a little bit before that. But um, yeah, it's still a, a little ways to go. But it's the book is at least finished. So I know it's going to be published this year for sure.
0: And have you seen the cover and you're very delighted and very pleased?
6: I'm very delighted with the cover. and I'll do a little cover reveal on my Instagram <gasps> at some point. Yes. So people can oh, see that.
0: I must follow you and see that. Huzzah. uh well listen congratulations <laughs> cuz i you. mean you know anyone who's done it knows it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> anyone can start a novel but uh, uh. finishing that's that's the trick. Um uh, and can you when you when you're in, like in Northern Ireland or anything if you're doing if you're filming something at like blue lights uh, can you do writing or do you have to kind of separate your your two hats completely
6: um, it depends um, on the scenes that you've got to do Somet- I mean like I shot this show called Curfew years ago and I was, I was able to write at the same time. So we were doing a lot of night shoots. So I'd sort of get, get up at about midday. I'd write until about four o'clock and then we go off and do our sort of night shoots or whatever. So that worked. But when you've got quite intense scenes, as we do in some episodes of Blue Lights, it was, yeah, it's oil and water really. So you just want to focus on, on the acting, get that done. And then on your days off, you know, then I could m- maybe do a little bit, bit of writing. But it's quite nice to go between two worlds sometimes of like really serious, like gritty, scenes that we might be doing in blue lights and then, you know, write some jokes about (laughs) being a a step parent or whatever. So sometimes it works to be able to go between the two spaces, but not necessarily like at the same time.
0: And also, it makes you feel quite clever. You kind of think, oh, "Look at me! Look at me pretending to be a police officer." And now look, now look, I'm a novelist. I'm so clever. i a, I'm I've, a never,
6: I've never had that thought, I have to say. <laughs> look at me, the clever one. But um... just,
0: just me then, just me.
6: <laughs> possibly, possibly, I might start thinking that now, though.
0: Uh, Tomorrow night, nine o'clock, Blue Lights kicks off on BBC One and all episodes will be available to watch on BBC iPlayer. And the novel is Tough Crowd and that's out in July. You can pre-order it now. Uh, Andy Osher, thank you so much for coming in to see us. Take care.
6: Thank you
0: uh-huh Our competition word up yes that's what we're playing right now it's your chance to win a graham norton Waitrose gift box it includes a reusable drinks cup so beautiful racing green uh, Waitrose brut champagne uh salted caramel truffles number one aged balsamic vinegar it is a uh, worth winning it is quite the prize uh first up we've got janet hello janet
2: hello graham you're on the radio.
0: Uh,
3: I know it's
2: do- so exciting. It's it's completely <laughs> different when you're sitting at home, and then suddenly you're on the radio. But I will, <laughs> I will do my best.
0: You will, of course. Uh, where are you, Janet?
2: Um, in Great Eccleston, just outside Preston.
0: Oh, lovely! And uh, any Sunday plans for you in Great Eccleston?
2: Uh, we, well, my husband is at tennis this morning, so he'll probably be driving home at this moment in time and go. that sounds like my wife on the radio. Um, so I've been spring cleaning this morning. The sun has been out, and um, the sun has gone in, and I'm not. I'm not. I've given that. I've, I've knocked that on the head for the moment.
0: All right. Well, listen, hopefully, I can give you uh, that grave North Ra- Windows Ra- 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 gift box. Uh, are you confident?
2: Um, I, I do listen to a, a lot of music um, and normally I know sort of when it comes on the radio, but it's it's different when you're on the radio. You just, you know, I might just completely have a blank, but I'll give it my best shot, Graham. It's just great to be on the radio. Thank you.
0: Oh, I'm so glad! I'm so glad you're thrilled. All right, Janet, you were looking for the missing word. This is a clip uh, of Ed Sheeran who features on Tim Cocker's "On the Road." A special show tonight on Virgin Radio at seven o'clock. So, can you you can hear clearly? You're listening. You're, you're all good. You're you're happy.
2: Yes, yes, I can hear clearly. Thank you.
0: Okay, here is the clip. What's the missing word? Actually, the guy that I was running from the law through the backfields with was... Uh, uh, I was i was just on holiday with him and he didn't know about the song. And then he messaged me and was like, was that a bit about us? And then he's hes also the one that works down by the... He works in a wind farm. Okay. Uh, Janet, what do you think the missing word was?
2: Um, I don't suppose I could hear it again, please, could I?
0: I don't think so, no. I think that's against the rules. Yeah, so Oh, okay.
2: No problem. I... Canal.
0: You're going with canal. Now, a sound effect will tell us whether you're right or wrong. Let's listen out. Oh, Janet. Janet, I'm glad you enjoyed being on the radio because we're not Thank giving you a prize. Right, lovely to talk to you, Janet. Take care of yourself. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, next up, uh, let's see if we have a winner in Julia. Hello, Julia.
7: Hello, Graham. How are you?
0: I'm all the better for talking to you. Uh, Where are you, Julia?
7: I'm in Hopwood in Worcestershire.
0: All right. And what's it doing there? Has the sun gone in? Has gone out? Is it raining? Uh, it,
7: ha- it hasn't been out yet. In fact, it's been mizzling all morning. But not to worry no. because it's another day, isn't it? So it's all good to It is.
0: Exactly. You're awake and you're up and out of... And now, now, you're in with the chance of winning a grand Norton Waitrose gift box. Uh, so what have you got <laughs> planned for your Sunday in Hawkwood, Julia?
7: Well, I'm looking at the pile of ironing and just looking at it. So I guess I could do that. <laughs> Um, equally, if the, if the rain stops, I might take the dogs a walk. That would be a good excuse not to do the ironing. Um,
0: Absolutely. But
7: then I I might just find a good film on television or something like that, you know, if the weather keeps up like this. But it's lovely or, to talk to you, it really is. It's well, just, well, it's lovely to talk to you, amazing. Julia. And hopefully,
0: hopefully, well, hopefully you'll be so giddy with excitement having won <laughs> your waitress gift box, you won't want to do well, ironing yeah. or walk the dog. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so uh, what did, you've heard the clip? What did you yes. think the missing word was?
7: I think it's coast.
0: You think it's coast? Okay, let's listen back to Ed and see if you're right. Actually, the guy that I was running from the law through the backfields with was—I uh, uh, was—I was just on holiday with him, and he didn't know about the song. And then he messaged me and was like, "Was that
6: a bit about us?" <laughs> and then he's—he's he's also the one that works down by the coast. He works in a wind farm. Oh. Hey.
0: Well done, Julia. You get the Grand Lorton Gift Box with all those goodies. I'm so pleased for you. Uh, ironing you be damned, stupid ironing. Uh, Absolutely.
7: Celebrating is, good. How about that? <laughs>
0: I know. Is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio?
7: Um, well, I'd like to say hello to basically everybody that knows me. And I love well, them then. all.
0: Oh, that's very kind of you. Uh, thank you so much for playing, Julia. And congratulations. Well done. Take care now.
7: Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on all of our socials? Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on all platforms to see everything from gorgeous dishes to Graham's guides. That's it for now. Speak to you soon.
1: The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.